This is a podcast from Delancey Healing Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 in the Delancey Healing Church building at Le Banks and Samson in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. To contact us or to find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyhealing.co.uk. to be in the presence of the Lord, isn't it? And to know that he loves us, he cares for us, and that we can have a life fulfilled, we can have a life living for Jesus Christ. Uh, today I want to talk about this time tomorrow, and that's the title of uh, my word, my sermon today. Last year we did a series called Ministry in the Marketplace, I'm sure and hopefully you can remember it, and the aim of that Um, sermon series was to take a fresh look at what ministry was and who is involved in it and how it is uh, brought out in our day-to-day lives. And uh, that is not limited just to full-time paid Christians, okay? And uh, for those who are full-time in the Lord. And by looking at certain characters, we saw that cutting-edge ministry takes place in the places where we are, in the places that we live, in the places and the things that we do. That is where cutting-edge ministry takes place. And that is where the bulk of ministry is done. And we need to change our thinking on what full-time ministry is and what it looks like. And so today I want to refresh our memory on that and have a look at a few more things uh, about this time tomorrow. What will you be doing this time tomorrow? What will we be doing this time tomorrow? The vision of Delancey Elam Church is reach, equip and send. Today I want to look at how we can be equipped by the Holy Spirit to do mission in our daily context. To be able to live abundant lives for Jesus Christ. That we, will don't, we won't just live from one Sunday to the next Sunday. You know, we cannot look away any longer at the mission that is before us. Because the mission is great. The world, our island, our community needs Jesus. And needs to hear the gospel. They need to hear the message of salvation. We cannot ignore it anymore. We cannot leave it to someone else to do. Last week, as we saw in the uh, video clip just a moment ago, we were at the Elam Bible Week. And it was a fantastic week. And one I would highly recommend attending next year. But we had the great pleasure of having R.T. Kendall preach at a couple of the meetings. A great biblical scholar of many years. And something that he said in one of the meetings that we were was that the church has lost or forgotten the message of salvation. And he was challenging us to the core. He also said that there there was a lack of fear in today's church. A lack of fear of God in our lives today. You know, years ago we were told 
not to talk about the fear of God, not to talk about heaven and hell, um, not to talk about these things, etc., 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 because it puts people off. But the truth of the matter is that that pulling back hasn't worked. We're not seeing floods of people rushing in into the church. And in that stepping back, in that trying to make the message a, a little bit more palatable, we maybe have lost that message of salvation. In fact, by stepping back, we have seen the opposite. We have seen a decline in the church attending, people attending church. And RT asked this question, where will you be in 100 years? Where will you be in 100 years? Heaven or hell? That was his question. And he also said that the reason the gospel is important and urgent is because there is a heaven and a hell. And we will all give an account before God. We have a message. We have a message. We know the message, but we have stopped telling it. We have a message. We have good news. You know, I'm always encouraging and asking you and saying that we need to declare the name of Jesus. We need to do it. We have to see that what we are doing this time tomorrow is important. We should not be existing for one Sunday till the next Sunday. We should not be surviving on the one message we receive on the Sunday morning to the next message we receive the following Sunday. We all have a part to play in the ministry of the church and we cannot be silent anymore. Every one of us, every one of us has a part to play in the ministry of the church. We cannot leave it to another person anymore. We are all the church of God. We are all his hands. We are all his feet. We are all the voice of God and we need to rise up and take our place in our marketplace, in the places that we are and the places that we go. We are carriers of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are people of God. We are the church of God. The late John Stott said this, You can't blame the meat for going rotten. That's what meat does. You blame the salt for not being there to preserve it. Meaning that we, the people of God, are the salt and the light for the world. And we have cast blame on the secular world for the demise of the church and the muting of the gospel. But we are to blame because we are the salt, we are the light. We are to be the voice and the difference in this world. Not somebody else. We can't no longer blame other people. We, the church the people of God, you and me, are the salt and we are the light. And we have a commission, we have a challenge, we have an instruction we have to obey and that is to go into, into the world, into the ends of the earth and declare the name of Jesus. Over the past year, I, we have per periodically done this time tomorrow and invited people up to come and stand and we, we learn about what they will do this time tomorrow, what they do from Monday to Friday, and we'll talk about some of the struggles they may be experiencing, some of the joys, and we pray for them. And that's something we've been doing since um, we did this series, Ministry in the Marketplace, just to champion and, uh, and make us aware that what we do from Monday to Friday is vital and is important in the furtherance of the gospel. 
what the vast majority of what we will be doing tomorrow will be mission. And historically, the church has been very good at supporting those that do works of service, that do mission in our context, in our four walls, if you like, in our church buildings. We've been very good at supporting those people and praying for them, which is good, which is right but not so good at supporting those works of service that we do outside of the church. And that's why this time tomorrow, I'm trying to change that, to see that what we are doing tomorrow is important. As one teacher put it, I spend an hour a week teaching Sunday school, and they haul me up to the front of the church to pray for me. The rest of the week, I'm a full-time teacher and the church has never prayed for me. That says it all. The London, the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity, Executive Director Mark Green, describes this as the sacred-secular divide. If you remember, I talked about this briefly in, in the series Ministry in the Marketplace, the sacred and the secular divide. What we do on a Sunday and what we do on a Monday. That, that divide, there is. And he quotes this heartbreaking statistic that globally, 98% of Christians are neither envisioned nor equipped for mission in 95% of their walking lives. The vast majority of our time is in the workplace, in the marketplace. This is what we need equipping for um, in our mission. We have restricted the gospel to just a couple of hours a week our sacred time on a Sunday. The truth is that many of us are happy to just do our bit and attend church every Sunday, tick it off and say, pat ourselves on the back maybe and for being a good Christian because we've come to church on a Sunday where we need to break out, we need to change our thinking on that. We, we are the church of God, we are the people of God. We need to break out of these walls. We need to reach out into the places where we are. We need to change our thinking. We need to become missional people. Now that word missional is a, is a new word. You won't find it in the dictionary, missional. It's a Christian buzzword that's been going on for a few months, years now actually. Missional, to be a missional people, to be a missional church. What does that mean? What does missional mean? Well, Alan Hirsch, American says this about the meaning of missional. Missional represents a significant shift in the way we think about church. As the people of a missionary God, we ought to engage the world the same way he does, by going out rather than just reaching out. To obstruct this movement is to block God's purposes in and through his people. When the church is in mission, it is the true church. That's his definition of missional. Ed Stetzer, uh, another great writer, says this about being missional, and this, this for me sort of hits it on the head, nail on the head. Missional means actually doing mission right where you are. Which is what I'm saying about this time tomorrow. Doing mission where we are, in what we are doing and where we are going. We need to break this sacred-secular divide that has built up in our lives, in our church lives, and live our lives for Christ. 
and make his name known in all areas of our lives to become whole life disciples and be aware that the gospel is not just limited to specific times. Whilst we were at conference, I was touched greatly, and many of us were, by a testimony of a young lady called Magda. Magda is from Iran, and she was given a temporary visa to come to the UK to speak at the Elam Bible Week. And she was talking about the time she went to university in Tehran, and where she was the only Christian on campus, almost the only Christian on campus. And she was not allowed to talk about her faith and talk about Jesus. She found that extremely difficult and was desperate to share the good news of Jesus. And I'll tell you why that touched me. It touched me because we live in freedom and we have freedom of speech and we are not talking about Jesus. This girl, this when she was at university, she's not a girl now, she's about my age, about 40. And, and when she was at university, she wasn't able to talk about Jesus and that broke her heart. Yet we have the freedom of speech and we don't talk about Jesus in the places where we are, in the places that we work, in the things that we do. Or if we do, it's not very much. It touched me. that we are not making the name of Jesus known in the places where we are. Magda was desperate to talk about Jesus and can't. And sometimes we just can't be bothered. Let me tell you, I just want to tell you a story, her story, Magda's story, is, is fairly long, but I just want to share with you her story as part of my word today. We, we, they brought her over and after the main meeting, um, there was, we were meeting in another meeting room in the complex there. And it was quite striking because there was a queue. It must have been going for hundreds of people um, to come in and listen to this woman's testimony. And this is her testimony. She says, I was raised in a Christian family and had a passion to serve since I was a teenager. I really loved going to church. And I even remember one day telling my mum how I wished I could live in a church. As a teenager, I was an active member of the worship group and served in the Sunday school. I was the only Christian in our university and my classmates used to say I was different from the rest of them. That's salt and light, isn't it? I could not openly talk about my faith, but I was glad people still knew I loved Christ. In the second year at university, I got to know a man who seemed to know quite a lot about me and my family. He had found out that I was a Christian and told me I love Jesus too. I want to get to know your family. At the time, our home served as a house church for local believers, and my father was its pastor. My new friend used to come to our meetings, and after a while, he told me that he had fallen in love with me and wanted to marry me. Three months later, we got engaged and then married. I thought his love was real. As soon as we were married, I faced a dark reality. My husband was not a Christian. The way he treated me got worse and worse. He didn't like me visiting my family and he hated me for my Christian faith, calling me an infidel and an apostate. He kept on threatening me that he would report me and my family to the Islamic authorities so that they could hang us for being Christians. Though he was not a practicing Muslim, he would deliberately recite verses from the Quran every night 
in a loud voice just to annoy me. One day I asked why he had married me since he hated me and my family so much. He shamelessly replied that during our days at the university, he had followed me home after the class one day. And seeing that I lived in an affluent neighborhood and was a pretty girl, he decided that I was worthy of him. This was like pouring cold water on my emotions. I couldn't believe someone would marry for such superficial reasons. Feeling helpless and lonely, I prayed that God would give me a child. I wanted to be a mother, but my husband said he didn't want a child from an apostate woman. God heard my prayers and gave me a child. I had a really stressful pregnancy and my husband kept saying a child who has a mother like me would be useless. After the birth of our daughter, his attitude only hardened and when she was just four and a half months old, he forced us to leave his home. Life was tough. My husband refused to divorce me, but still he would not provide for me and my daughter and would not even give me permission to find a job. According to Iran's Islamic law, the husband must give permission for his wife to work. Thankfully, My father supported me financially. Every once in a while, my husband would come to our house to take our daughter for a few hours and then would bring her back again. One day he took her, but didn't bring her back. He argued that, according to Islamic law, an infidel was not fit to look after the child. In the meantime, he had also divorced me. I immediately hired a lawyer to regain custody of my daughter. She was just two and a half years old. And my lawyer told me, according to the Iranian constitution, a little girl can stay with her mother up to the age of nine. But on the day of the court hearing, the judge told me that the law in the constitution did not apply in my case. The judge told me there's only one way you can take custody of your daughter. If you come back to Islam and recant your Christian faith, we will give you your daughter. My lawyer was very happy. He urged me to accept the court offer and pretend I was not a Christian. It was a nightmare moment. On the one hand, I really loved my daughter and wanted to get her back at all costs, but on the other hand, I had loved Jesus. On the other hand, I loved Jesus and had felt his living presence with me throughout my life. There was no way I could bring myself to deny Jesus. Deep in my heart, I felt peace that God was in charge. During those tense moments, I felt as if Jesus was waiting for my answer. Would I choose him over my daughter? I told the judge that I would never deny Jesus. So the court ruled in favor of my husband and took my daughter away from me. This was the darkest chapter of my life. I missed my daughter terribly. I spent my days smelling her clothes, thinking of what she might be doing and weeping. I became more isolated and was easily offended. I felt wronged and became depressed. I spent hours alone in my room crying. I was forced out of my isolation by one one of the worst tragedies in our history, the earthquake in the city of Bam in southern Iran. I saw terrible scenes of devastation on TV, people wailing and mourning the loss of their loved ones. I could easily identify with them as I was also mourning the loss of my beloved daughter. One day, a friend of mine who is now in prison for his Christian faith called me and asked me to work with him and others helping the people of Bam. I told my Christian friend that I couldn't be of any help, thinking that if I had been a good mother, God would have let me take care of my own child. After his telephone call, my mother came to my room. She said, I want to tell you something. When you trusted God in the court and did, not, and did not deny Jesus, God was with you. He is also with you now and has not abandoned you. Put your trust in him. And like Moses' mother, commit your daughter to the caring hands of God. He will take care of your daughter and will guide her in the river of life. And one day he will bring her back to you. 
My, my mother's words greatly encouraged me and I decided to call my friend and let him know I would, would be coming to help. I stayed in the city of Bam for one year and while helping the orphan children, God taught me many valuable lessons. He did wonderful miracles in my life, the most important of which was that he brought me to believe that I am a valuable instrument in the hands of God. He allowed me to share my motherly love on children and had not lost, who had not, lost, not only lost their mothers but their whole families. We had the opportunity to sing Christian songs for them and tell them about God's love for them. And despite the potential dangers, we also had the opportunity to pray with the people of Bam and tell them about Jesus. I was mother to many children and God was abundantly making up for the dark days of my life. God gave me a chance to rediscover myself and my talents and realize that I can use my talents for his glory. Most important of all, he put songs of joy and gratitude on my lips, things that have been absent from my lips for a long time. After Bam, God used me in other places too. As I write this, I have yet to see my daughter, though I sometimes talk to her on the phone. But I can say with absolute confidence that not even for a moment do I ever regret my decision in the court to choose God over my daughter. It is hope in the truth that God has loved me and my daughter that has kept me going. I am still waiting, but I know that God is faithful. He has heard my prayers for my daughter, and he will have the last word. So it's a a tragic story, but a, a great story, testimony of the willingness of this child of God to speak up, to not deny Christ. I use that illustration to challenge us this morning, to provoke us this morning, that we need to rewrite our thinking. We need to rewire our thinking on and see that we are followers of Jesus Christ and should be proud of it. There is a heaven and there is a hell and we shall meet God one day. I know where I'm going, but there are millions of people that do not know and have not even been told. You know, we have a fear maybe of telling the good news of Jesus because of what people may think and have ignored the fear of the Lord and the commission that we have to take the good news out to the ends of the earth. The fear of the Lord should be greater than the fear of what people might think. This is what RT was saying about we have lost that fear of God. The mission that we have been given as the church of God will never be achieved by a handful of missionaries. We all have the responsibility and we all need to rise up in the places that we are. Where we will be this time tomorrow is where we start that mission. That's where we do mission. Mark Green, who I mentioned earlier, summarizes the effect that the sacred secular divide has touched, how the effect that the sacred secular divide has touched almost every area of church life. Firstly, he says this it has limited mission geographically, usually within a few miles of the church building or far, far away. So we either do mission in our very close proximity to the, the building that we are in or we do it far, far away in other nations. There's this massive void um, where mission is not being, not being done. Our mission should not be limited to just, just, just to those that surround our holy temple called the church, which it is not, of course. We are the church, the place where we meet is only a building. 
We have entrenched ourselves in our holy buildings and have neglected the furtherance of the gospel. Um, I like to listen to podcasts and I'm listening to the podcast at the moment and being challenged greatly uh, by a preaching series by Andy Stanley from America who talks about the first church um, when, Saint Paul was on, when Paul was on the earth, the first church and how that church and the 21st century church that we live in is, is nothing like it. The church in the first century was a movement. It was something that was always on the move. There was momentum in the church. The church in the 21st century has become stagnant and living in its past blessings and its anointings. We have to break out of our concrete temples and become a movement again. And that's what he challenges us in these series. And I'm challenging us today. We have to break out and become that movement again and, and live in that momentum of declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to become disciples of Jesus and follow him wherever he leads. You know, recently when we did the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I, I kept repeating that scripture in Galatians that we need to be in step with the Holy Spirit. We need to let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us wherever we go. And as followers of Jesus, we need to, do, we need to follow God. We need to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. There needs to be momentum. Secondly, Mark Green says that the sacred-secular divide has limited mission in terms of personnel since mission tends primarily to be seen as the province of church-paid people. The perspective that mission is limited to those that are paid by the church needs to be changed. For far too long, ministry has been seen as an achievement of status and people are desperate to stand behind this pulpit and be full-time for Jesus. But I believe that the greater work is not done behind this pulpit, but behind the desk of the office worker, behind the wheel of the taxi driver, behind the uniform of the, the nurse, the doctor, the soldier, the emergency services, behind the tractor of the farmer, behind the tours of the trade person. I could go on and on and on. I think you understand what I'm saying. He also says that the sacred-secular divide has limited mission in terms of time since the sacred-secular divide tends to confine most people's missions activity to their leisure time, to their evenings and weekends. The way of the church has been for too long that mission takes place in the evening, takes place on the weekends and the church has limited it to those times. Leaders have pleaded with their congregations to be part of the mission of the church and limited, to certain, and limited it to certain events and programs. What we are doing this time tomorrow is when the major mission work can be done. More work can be done in the office than I can do behind the pulpit. I can equip you and train you and inspire you and challenge you, but the greater work, the bulk of work is done in the place where we are and the places that we go in the conversations that we have, that we come into contact with, through being the salt, through being the light in the places that we are. And the fourth thing that Mark Green says is that, it, that the sacred secular divide has limited the scope of the gospel and the message that we share with others. It is no longer about all our life 
and all our being. And what he means by that is that the scope of the gospel has been limited. It's no longer about, or maybe has never been, about all our life. Church has been rescinded to something that we do when we have the time. Church has become just another thing that we do, another bolt-on. It has been put alongside our leisure activities and meeting together as the church no longer takes precedence in our lives. We will fit it in if it doesn't conflict with our social lives or with the many other things that we want to do. Church is no longer about the furtherance of the gospel. We are the church. We are the church, and I've said this before. This is Jesus' this is God's master plan. The church is God's master plan on declaring the name of Jesus, of being mission, missional people. It's time to change our thinking. Jesus came and died for our sins. He came and died for the sins of the world to make it possible for mankind to live a life and a life that is full here on earth and also to be destined for heaven rather than hell. The gospel is what we are all about. We are here because of the resurrected Jesus Christ. We celebrated that a couple of weeks ago. The resurrected Jesus Christ is why we are here. We are here because of the sacrifice that he has made. And we are alive and we are to live out that in our very being. This time tomorrow is of paramount importance. What we will be doing where we are, what we will be doing is where we are to be doing mission. We are world changers, life givers. We are the church of Jesus Christ and we all have the power of the Holy Spirit alive within us. We are not just Sunday attenders. We are life livers that are the salt and the light of the world. We really do have the answer to everything in life. And if we are in some doubt about that, then we need to get on our knees and seek the face of the Lord once again. If we doubt, we have the answer. We need to recapture our first love and live a life of discipleship and disciple makers. And that, I believe, is something I want to talk about on another sermon, but discipleship and disciple makers, I believe, is vital and each and every one of us should be um, discipling somebody or, and being discipled ourselves. That, you know, we are looking for people in the church and outside the church that we can disciple, that we can teach the things that we know. We are world changers. We are the church of God. This building is not the church. It's just the place where we are thankful that we have, that we can come in freedom to, to meet, to worship together, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be equipped, to go into the things that we will do this time tomorrow. I want to conclude my sermon this morning with a, a great poem, or monologue, by an Elam minister and communica- communicator called Malcolm Duncan. And it's called, I Want to Be a God-Gazer. And this is a powerful powerful poem and I'll try and say it without crying this morning I want to be a God gazer K 
captured by the brilliance that springs from the radiance of you. I want to be a God-gazer, not a cheap food grazer or an easy option laser. I want to be a trailblazer for the ordinary, everyday life. I want to be a God-gazer, not just copying the halisson ways that shimmer brighter in the haze of bygone rays and the good old days. I want to be a God-gazer, looking beyond the trappings of success, cutting through the stucco of responsibility like a laser piercing darkness. I want to be a God-gazer, reaching for the stars and seeing beauty in the moment by becoming fluent in the language of the God who is here, who is now. I want to be a God-gazer, Until my imagination is saturated, until my thirst is sated, until my passion is stirred, until my intellect is stretched as far as it can be, until my yearning yearns for others to be free. I want to be a God-gazer, not a meetings manager or a people-pleaser or a tea and sympathy vicar, not a leadership trainer, not just a speaker, but a seeker. I want to be a God-gazer, And for a moment, I want God to gaze through me. I want others to see his eyes, heart, mind, and love above everything else in me. I want to be a God-gazer captured by the brilliance that springs from the radiance of you. I want to be a life-giver, not a life-sucker. I want my life to be releasing, not appeasing or placating. I want to be a life giver, a drain pipe without blockages, a circuit without stoppages, a connector without breakages. I want to be a life giver, a you can do it releaser, a have a go preacher, and you were born to do this, Pastor. I want to be a life giver, seeing rivers flow, not die seeing others rise and fly, helping friends reach for the stars, even if they sometimes miss. At least they can say they tried. I want to be a life giver, generous in spirit and in heart, letting the forgotten make a start at being life givers too. I want to be a life giver because I am a God gazer. Not because it's about me, but because it's about him. Because life can't spring from any other thing. I want to be a life giver connected to the source and pointing to the sun, standing in the shadow of the light, celebrating him. I want to be a world changer, not just a furniture rearranger or an it-could-be-better winger. Or I have the leftover stinger. I want to be a world changer, a doer, not just a talker. I want to spread the clothes of heaven no more or less than a poor man's dreams beneath the feet of Jesus. I want to be a world changer because a morning many winters ago the tomb was open and the curse was broken. Death had to let go and recreation burst out of an old wineskin like water from a geyser, like the cry of a child pushed into the world and nothing will shut him up. I want to be a world changer because it started 
because the vanguard's on the move and love is pushing out hate and light is shining out and darkness can't understand it, beat it, change it, hide it, kill it, stop it, win. I want to be a world changer because there's safety in this danger. There's meaning in this purpose. There's joy in this mission. And too many others are missing the power of life in all its fullness. World changer, life giver, God gazer. God, break in, then break out. Fill, then make me leak. Plug me in and push me out. In me, through me, around me. God gazing, life giving, world changing. Captured by the brilliance that springs from the radiance of you. Let's stand to our feet and let's pray. Father, we want to be world changers. We want to be life givers. We want to be the church that you planned us to be. A church that is filled with your love, filled with your power, filled with your Holy Spirit. And as I've just said, people that leak you. As you fill us with your power and your love, may we leak that power and love in the places that we go to. May we no longer settle from going from Sunday to Sunday and making Sunday when we can make it. But may we see that our times together are precious times where we are equipped, precious time together where we hear your voice as a church, as a congregation. Lord, may we no longer be stagnant and still. May we be a church that is moving, a movement with momentum. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we will become disciples And that we will disciple others in you and in your love. Lord, may we be challenged by this word today. May we allow it to just infiltrate our lives. May it infect us, Lord, in a good way. Lord, I pray today that we would stand in your presence today and make a decision and recognize that we are the church. That we don't come to church, that we are the church. And every one of us, nobody is excluded here today. Every one of us has the great news of the gospel in our hearts, in our spirits. And I pray for every person here today, wherever they will be this time tomorrow, would remember the words that we have said today. Be encouraged that where we are this time tomorrow is where you have placed us to do ministry. 
that ministry is not just confined to this building, to this pulpit. That we are all the carriers of the gospel. We are the salt and we are the light. So Lord, I pray you would help us to be those people that you have called us to be. That the power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in us. And that if we are afraid of what people may think of who we are, Lord, may we remember your presence is in us. We know the truth. And the fear of you, Lord Jesus, and your power and your strength should always be greater than any fear that we have in life. Because we know that as we put our faith in you, as we put our trust in you, you equip us, you strengthen us, you enable us to live our lives for you. So we stand in that promise today. We stand on that word today. In your awesome name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Delancey Healing Church. For more podcasts, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyhealing.co.uk.